Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Nothing can stop the church of the living God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We are living in the last days. And what a better time to remember the Lord and what he's done for us. Amen. There's, there's no stopping to what's about to happen among us. We need to believe that. Despite the uncertainty, despite the fear, despite um, what's going on, and uh, we are we are blessed to have the the doors opened, you know. And uh, um, we need to continue to invite people. What a better time that to remember our Lord and what He's done for us. Amen. Amen. Uh, it is always an honor to to share the Word of God. Um, thank you, Pastor Stan, for for the opportunity. And, um, and particularly communion, uh, which is very close to our hearts. Amen. I found this an incredible honor. So if we turn to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, if you want to stand just for the reading of the scriptures, it is our custom. We will read from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to verse 26. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And I will set the scene a little bit after we read the scripture. Why he had to address the Lord's Supper at this particular time. He says, For I received from the Lord what also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. And I want to share a little bit about remembrance and why it is important to remember. And there's been a couple of things that just stood out to me as I was preparing for, for this particular communion which I hope it blesses you and encourages you in the ways of the Lord. So you may be seated. So a little context of why had he, you know, Paul had to speak to the Corinthian church at the time. The Corinthian church was established by Paul himself. In the book of Acts, you could read that and check that, uh, chapter 18. And he was intimately involved with this church because he led the establishment of it. And I guess like a father figure, you know, he certainly wanted to invest and he invested of his time um, and, and of his efforts to establish this church. So he kept a close um, touch with it and it was right to them addressing some needs that they actually asked him about. And Corinth was uh, strategically located, according to historians. It was described as an important city that was intellectually alert. He was very prosperous and, um, however, was morally corrupt. And a church will reflect to some extent, the society in which it exists. So although the church must not be conformed to the environment, the people that are redeemed come to church from a world whose influence is evil, and often the influence continues to felt after the conversion. Many of the problems that churches may face today are found um, the basis in the life of the city that the church is situated. You know, we know that in different countries, or even here in Australia, we, we often sometimes f um, feel the effects. We have to have explicit teaching about, about what's going on um, out there so that we can be prepared and renew our minds. Amen. 
because somehow the struggles that we face do reflect the society that we live in. So this understanding is relevant for us now. So for those of us that are new, it is important for you to connect, to get a Bible study, to join a group, to attend church regularly, learn God's Word so we know how to live a life that is pleasing unto God. It's so important. And there's loads of our learning. I remember when I first became a Christian, oh my goodness. Uh, besides the faith and the excitement and knowing that my sins were washed away and dealt and I didn't have to go back to that. I felt the freedom, but yet my mind often uh, pondered on the things that I just left. I didn't have the full understanding. So it was crucial for me to attach myself to a group and to people that gave me a Bible study so I could renew and unlearn all those bad habits. The same thing goes for us who have been in the church longer, you know, because it's important to understand that once we're saved, we are never saved until he calls us home. Amen. We're never saved until he calls us to be with him. And we had an addition to that because we need to be mindful when it comes to newcomers that it's not our place to set expectations for the newcomers. All right. It's not up to us to set the expectation what a newcomer should look like, feel like, do, give up or not give up. You know, we only lead them to Christ. We are in the same place. We need the mercy of God. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Ghost to be working in us. So for us that have been longer in the church that we should know better, we really don't know better. We end up falling at times, you know, when we're discouraged and do the same traps that everybody that's just started in the ways of God. But there's one thing that is promised to us, is that His Spirit will lead us into all truth. We always have access to His mercy. Amen. So the early church members in Jerusalem, um, in the book of Acts, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You could check this in Acts 2.42. And it says um, that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. So we can assume that this particular breaking of bread of, um, that Paul was referring to, we could in include the teaching and the prayers. We, we could say that these were services and Bible studies. Um, further down in Acts in verse 46, we find that what appears to be another type of breaking of bread. And he says, and breaking bread from house to house, they were eating their meals with gladness and simplicity of heart. So here the disciples were breaking bread as seen as eating meals together. Something that we love at this church. And some of us miss when we, you know, looking forward to, to um, our culture Sunday when we all celebrate. And hopefully we could, we could all gather together and have a feast. Uh, so here we know that the disciples, the activity of breaking bread was for two distinct instances. One was breaking bread in observance of the memorial supper, you know, coming together to remember. And the other one was breaking bread, just eating meals together. So in the previous verses um, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the Corinthians that he paints the picture that there were some misconceptions. There was a disorder how they were going about the Lord's Supper. Um, and Paul uh, was very strong and very direct with them. 
again, that father figure. He, he poured of himself into this church. He won them to the Lord. And he had that relationship that he could be honest and forward uh, in his approach. He was quite displeased. In verse 17, um, you know, we, we can see that. Yeah, and you can read it when, when you go home. In verse 18, he was, he was saying that he was getting reports that there were divisions among them, that they were competing and criticizing each other. And this included the way that they were taking the Lord's Supper, that breaking of bread, um, for the purpose of remembering Christ. They, they, they've forgotten what that was all about. You know, they were setting elaborate meals, incredible meals, instead of just reminding the Lord's Supper. It was not accessible to everyone, that chapter, the verses tells us. Some people missed out on it. And, um, and Paul was in disbelief. Um, he's like, I can't believe that you're actually doing that. You know, he's, in verse 22, he tells them, don't you have your homes to do that? You know, don't, don't just eat and drink at home. Why are you actually going to put to shame people, God's people, particularly the poor, the disadvantaged? And he finishes that by saying, I'm not going to praise you for it. I'm not proud of, of this act. The way that you are carrying on about the Lord's Supper. Um, they, they were just emphasizing dining experiences more than, than what their whole purpose was, which was remem remembering what the Lord did for them. All right, so Paul wanted to set them back into line. That was a little context of why we read that scripture. Um, just like a loving father would. And he stated the purpose for it. All right, the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It's a ceremony of remembrance. When we partake of the unleavened bread, we remember that Christ's body was cruelly treated and nailed to the cross for our sin. When we partake of the fruit of the vine, we remember that the blood of Christ was poured out of his body and his body and blood were sacrificed for our sins. That's what we're gathering here to remember. And there were a couple of elements that stood out this time as I was preparing for tonight's communion. Um, from that particular chapter in 1 Corinthians 11, first was to take an inward look, a focus of self-examination. Pastor Stan spoke about verse 28 when he says, you know, one must examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. You know, he, he's talking about um, pouring, looking inwardly. Um, verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 29 says, For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing it drinks judgment on himself. So we are to partake the Lord's Supper in a spirit of self-examination. Not just ensuring that we are saved, that we understand the plan of salvation, but it, it goes even a little bit deeper. We need to examine ourselves before we take part of this. Amen. Repentance requires honesty. No one comes to God with, a true, with true repentance in their heart unless they first acknowledge one thing, that they need forgiveness and reconciliation. We often think, oh, let's repent, and we all just say sorry. It becomes like a chant almost. You know, but that wouldn't be true repentance unless you recognize, you examine yourself, you, put, you open up and you recognize, I do need forgiveness. Amen? Yeah. We need forgiveness each day. 
Our forgiveness is not just done the moment we, we turn our life around and we get baptized and God comes into our lives and we make a commitment. That's not the only time we need it. Every day we need the forgiveness. We need that access to, to God. And that's what repentance is. We cannot repent if we don't think we need it. So the very first thing before repenting and acknowledging sorry is that we need to recognize that we need forgiveness. That we need to be reconciled with the Lord. Come back to Him. Only when we cease trying to cover up our sin with self-righteousness will be stop lying to ourselves by saying, I'm okay. All right, I gave. I read my verses this morning, my little devotion. I watched it and on a post where we used to, you know, I love those, Pastor. Every morning I miss them. Every day open, you know, just before I had my breakfast, seven o'clock it was there. Um, I love those. You know, and uh, we ca- I can't just say that as a guarantee for me being okay, although I, much, I really love them. But, um, you know, we can't lie to ourselves and say that we come to church and we do a ritual and a list of things, and that's okay. Only when we, only we can experience the deep and lasting change that comes only when we acknowledge and repent and turn away. We need to face our condition and stop blaming others for our stress or our moods. Amen. Our repentance sin will linger and will affect your spirit and your health. It will affect your health when we carry sin and, and we just, you know, sometimes we don't know what to do. You toss and turn and you think it's just a decision that you need to make over, you know, in your night. You can't, can't reconcile yourself. Check and see if there's anything that is sinful in your life. David describes physical and emotional symptoms associated with guilt. Look, Psalms 32 Verse 3 and 4 says, When I kept silent, another version says, When I refused to confess my sin, my bones became brittle. They waxed old, wasted away from my groaning all day. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Do you feel tired? Do you feel drained sometimes? Have you thought of checking yourself and your attitudes and where you are in God right now? Instead of just popping vitamins all the time, they're good. <laughs> they help. You know, but we always blame stress on something else and, and our moods on something else. And we don't realize that sometimes it could be even the sin of doubt. Come on. Doubt is a sin. Not trusting God with comes next is a sin. Have you forgiven yourself and have you asked God to forgive you of those sins? That is sin. We need to search ourselves. We must assess the consequences of our sin as well, personally, and as well the impact it has on others. 1 Corinthians 11.30, Pastor mentioned that, um, again, he says, that is why among you, um, many among you are weak and sick. 
And a number of you have fallen asleep, which means they've, they've died. You've let it go far, too far. It has consumed you emotionally, spiritually. Your body, you're carrying guilt because you haven't searched yourself and asked God to forgive you. In the process of repentance, we must fight to be utterly transparent before God. Amen. Only ruthless honesty will be sufficient and lead us to freedom and joy. There, there have been times in my life that I had to set things straight between myself and someone else, and, I, and I'm sure there was, I'm not the only one. And uh, even minor things, and the moment I've done, I go, whew, boy, that feels good. There's such freedoms, like a weight lifted. When you clear things with people, imagine what it feels like when you clear things with God, who's able to wash it away for you, who will never bring it back to account because you asked him to forgive you. And when you ask God to forgive you, there's no returning back to it. He won't bring it up. Sometimes we bring it up, our own selves. But he will never bring it up. Imagine the weight being lifted when we ask him to forgive us. We examine ourselves honestly. Amen. So through the Lord's Supper, we rededicate ourselves to being crucified, we guess, with Christ and letting him live in us. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The apostle says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 31 in that particular chapter of 1 Corinthians 11 says, For if we discern ourselves, we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. So that's the first point I wanted to bring across tonight. It's about the self-examination, the importance on being honest before God before we take part of this communion. That was an inward look. The next look will be an outward look. And that caught my attention. Those around me coming together to remember. Paul rebuked the Corinthian church because he heard that there were divisions. They were competing with one another. They were criticizing each other. And all these drew a wedge between the church members as if there was an implied social status in the body of Christ. A little bit like, you know, the ones that have and the ones that have not. The ones that have better access to, to a quality life and those that don't, the ones that are popular and those that not. And, you know, this should not be so. Coming together as Christians is more than just physically gathering and keeping the doors open, we don't know till when, but we're grateful for it. But it's a little bit more than just keeping the doors open. It's a little bit more than saying, that's my seat, that's your seat, or so-and-so seat's over there. We gather together, the music and the band's going on. It's a little bit more. It means that when we do get together, we honour each other. We show brotherly love and brotherly kindness. We respect our cultural backgrounds. We, and we look beyond a village of origin. 
and extend our arms to welcome and include others from all cultures and backgrounds, not necessarily stick to our own kind. It is important that we do that. It's easier to stick in our cultural groups. You know, there's a language that is already there that I don't have to explain. It's much easier, isn't it? You know, even just a nod will do <laughs> in some cultures. You know, oh, I know what she means <laughs> or what he means, right? But being part of the bodies, you know, we just not, we shouldn't stick to just that. We should be open about it. You know, the Lord, you know, the Corinthian church was having issues with that. They didn't call it culture, but they called it, you know, you guys are bringing all the food, the rest are staying hungry. You know, you, you guys are leading people astray because that's not how you celebrate, you know, the Lord's Supper. There were divisions and they were criticizing each other. So it's important. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And we know he's coming back soon. That word consider in the Greek means to notice, behold, or discover one another. That's deep. <laughs> when I read that, I'm thinking, oh, that's deep. It's, it's not just to consider, I'll, I'll be considerate to you. It's not like we think of it means. Oh, come on before me. You, you have a go first. And we, it doesn't mean that in the Greek it means to notice each other. It means to behold, admire, to discover each other. Find out what the other what people are about. It's powerful. And the Bible says, Paul says that we need to do this. You know, not forsaking to get together, just keep getting together. Particularly now that you are in the end times. That Jesus is coming back. Consider one another. There's an anointing and a special blessing that comes when we get together. Psalm 133 explains it beautifully. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. He's the preacher. And it is at the dew of Hermon we're falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So the blessing is in the gathering. The blessing is in the assembling together. There's a special blessing that comes to us when we gather together, when we are in unity. There's an especially anointing that comes when the person that speaks is in the pulpit. Amen? It's a special anointing. And taking it further, not only when we come together, when we take that outward look, but it's powerful when we take an, an outward look to remember. To remember what he did for us. With his disciples, Jesus prayed. He gave thanks. Then broke the bread and shared the wine with them. And explained to them how the bread was the symbol of his body. Broken for them. 
and the wine a symbol of his blood which would be poured out for the sins to be forgiven amen the disciples had no idea what was about to take place in a few days they had no idea they probably thought he was talking about death and he did but they didn't know the magnitude of it they didn't know how it was going to take place calvary jesus said remember me and he broke the the bread remember me jesus said when he shared the wine and today we want to remember calvary Philippians says that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Calvary, a place of salvation, a place of grace, a place of joy, my place of forgiveness. I remember well when I asked for his forgiveness for the first time. I remember that time. Do you remember it? The very first time when you bowed your knee, you put away your pride, and you thought of the sacrifice and the price that he he paid I remember that well. It was at Calvary where the love of God was displayed at his best. So ordinary men and women could be saved and live on. Soldiers mocked and clothed him with purple, a color that emperors and senior magistrates used to wear in ancient Rome. They pushed nails through his hands and feet and a crown of thorns through his head. Calvary. The place where we receive our healing. It was and is a Calvary where I am accepted as a child of God. That's the place that God accepts you as his own. You come feel acceptance by just being part of this wonderful church which I love. You can't feel accepted just by being vindicated about a great job, a great bank account, a great family name. You just can't be accepted by that. The place to feel completely accepted and know your identity is at Calvary. Calvary is the place where we become accepted. We are adopted on purpose. We are his children. We're part of his household. We are heir of his promises and his kingdom. It's because of Calvary that we can scream and shout and say, I'm a child of God. Doesn't matter what people could do to me and say to me. I'm a child of the Most High King. First Peter 2.25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Amen. 
He looks after us. You need to believe that tonight, that you are part of his family because he adopted you on purpose, that he accepts you and he has great things in store for you. You can have access to his promises. You can have access to his healing. You have access to his provision. You could enter in, come boldly into the throne at the time of great need. Use his grace. Approach him in mercy. Amen. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I remember that time that I asked the Lord to forgive me for the first time. And I remember this scripture ringing loudly in my ear after the preacher preached. Do you mean when I was doing all these wrong things, when I was getting drunk and when I was doing all these things, that you, God, already did it for me? That I was on your mind and now you welcome me? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. His pain, my healing. His cross, my redemption. His death, my victory. I can overcome because he overcame. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul quotes Jeremiah chapter 31st. Or 31, prophesying about the plan to come. In Hebrews, um, no, he, he quotes Jeremiah, sorry. I, I missed that scripture. Um, but Jeremiah says this, this is the covenant. I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive the wickedness and will remember the sins no more. So if we remember him and his sacrifice, there's a great promise here. That when we take part and become part of the body of Christ, when we obey the word of God, and become born again. The, this great new covenant that Jesus put in place. He was the lamb. Amen. He was the only one that could take the sins of the world. And he gave himself for you and I. And the generations to come. When we take this place. He says. As we remember him. He says that he will not remember our sins. What an exchange. When we remember his sacrifice and we turn around and repent and we gather in, he will forget our sins. He will no longer remember them. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We should shout it out. It's a gift of God. You come to Christ. It's a gift. Take it. Take it. 
Hallelujah. So now, what do you remember Calvary for? What things has he done for you lately? And I do say it lately because each day should be a testimony. A testimony what he's done for us. What he's kept us from. Amen. So what do you want to remember Calvary for tonight? John welcomes the readers of Revelation with these words. Revelation 1. Verses 4 to 5, he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us through his, from our sins by his blood. The last point that Paul makes is verse 26. And we read that. Eat this bread and drink this cup till he comes. We look inwardly, self-examine. We look outwardly to get together and remember. And we look up because we look forward to a destiny with Jesus. Would you stand up? Would you make a stand? As Pastor Stan comes, Matthew 26 says that Jesus took bread and blessed it and break, and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take it, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. I'm in that number. I'm in that number. I'm part of the many. I'm part of the many that he shed his blood for. Hallelujah. Would you just close your eyes and lift your hands. And worship him. As we think of Calvary tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah.